0: We need these people in our lives, and yet if we let these things be nourished in our hearts, we begin to avoid these people. We don't just avoid these people. We hope that somebody puts them down if we don't get to first. We avoid them. We stay away from them, and we love it when they're in pain. What Saul should have done is welcome David back just like Jonathan did. Love him just like Jonathan did. He should have clothed him with his... Put his own crown on him and said, this is, a great, this is part of my kingdom. This is my guy. He's in my world. I love this guy. But instead, he did not mortify his sin. But he desired David's death. He desired not to see him first. And then he desired his death. Well, how can we mortify jealousy? Well, James tells in James three fourteen through 18 that we have to pray. If we're going to win this battle, it's going to be on our knees. James writes, bitter envy and self-ambition in your hearts does not come down from heaven. This is the wisdom of the devil. But wisdom that comes from above is first first pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. You and I, we must... Put this sin to death on our knees in prayer. We're going to have to wrestle with this. If we're going to win this battle, it's going to be in prayer. And you can't have it unless you ask for it. Isn't that what James says? (laughs) If you do not ask, you, you do not have it because you do not ask. And so, you and I, when we have these feelings, we need to say, Lord, if I feed these feelings, I'm going to be full of hatred. I'm going to stay away from that person that I need in my life, be filled with bitterness. Lord, help me to be more concerned with you, be more concerned with your will, more concerned with your glory, more concerned with loving that guy. Help me to love that guy and see him as an asset and not my competitor. Help me not to distance myself from them, but receive them and love them. And thank God that I might have somebody that's a little better than me, or maybe a lot better than me. What happens if I don't mortify jealousy? Well, we're going to see ourselves acting just like Saul. In First Samuel sixteen twenty one. it says that Saul loved David very much. And then we get to chapter 18 and it says Saul's trying to kill him. Now, chapter 18, we're going to see in a few minutes. I don't think David knows this is going on. I think this is just something the text tells us and we all know it. But I don't think David knows it. And I'll show you what I mean by that in a few minutes. But here he loves him and then he hates him and he wants to pin him to the wall with his sword. I mean, with his uh, spear. In verse 10, it tells us that that spirit of judgment came upon him and was harassing Saul so forcefully. And Saul tried to put him to death. You and I must not cherish these thoughts because they they will bear fruit. And we see this everywhere. Don't think... That if you don't take care of jealousy and envy, that it won't bear fruit. It does bear fruit. And one of the things I think that we have to be very careful about is I know that I don't see anybody carrying a spear in here right now. I don't see any spears on the wall. I don't see any, you know, weapons of war right over there. But we're going to pick up on the way out the door. But we have to be careful about verbal spear throwing. Verbal spears Robert Fulgham writes in his book, All I really needed to know I learned in kindergarten. When I read this, I never forgot it. There's a logging practice used by the villagers in, in the Solomon Islands. When a tree is too large to be felled by a normal axe, by the men going out and chopping it down with an axe, the natives cut the tree down by yelling at it. For thirty days, these the woodsmen who believe they have special powers. For thirty days, they wake up early in the morning. They sneak up on the tree early in the morning before daybreak, and right when the sun comes up, they scream and yell at it as loud as they can. And at the end of thirty days, they say the tree always falls over. <laughs> now you and I, I, I kind of laugh at that because how many, how many times have I used that illustration with y'all about telling you that. Um, have you ever seen anybody scream at a wall and it fall down? You know, we know it happened because it happened in Exodus. People screamed at a wall and it fell down, right, in Jericho? <laughs> Have you ever seen a tree fall down because a bunch of guys think it's going to fall down, they scream at it? They, those silly, unsophisticated natives. But you know something, this is what Fulgham says. Maybe they got, Maybe they're teaching us something. These Solomon Islanders are teaching us that when you yell at living things, it kills their spirit. Take that to heart. We grow up and we sing this song, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. That is a lie. Now, yeah, sticks don't break my, I mean sticks might break my bones, and rocks might hurt my face, and you know, if you hit me with a stone like David did Goliath, you might kill me. But words Words, they may not make me bleed and they may not break a bone, but they break my heart. And you need to understand that when we begin to think about these words that we speak. Verbal spear throwing. And today we have to be careful about how we use our mouths in our homes, our anger. We need to... Go, ask God, we need to go to the foot of the cross and say, Lord Jesus Christ, help me put a cross on my mouth and not be full of rage and anger lest we be in danger of the fires of hell. This is what Jesus says about anger in Matthew five, twenty-one through 26. He tells us no physical murder. Well, most of us aren't going to have a problem with that. He says no thought murder. But he tells us also, no tongue murder. No tongue murder is allowed. What is the real problem with Saul? What is the real problem when we focus on a David? What's the real problem when we focus on Philistines? What's the real problem when we focus on somebody else? The real problem is told to us in chapter 18, verse 12. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but the Lord had departed from Saul. The problem is Saul between Saul and God. Saul is focusing on David. You see, it's not David's day-old popularity that's the problem. It's that Saul knows that the Lord is with David and the Lord is not with him. It's a sad thing for him to know this. It's a sad thing for him to know that he is at odds with God and he's going to keep his eyes focused on anything but his sin. He will not repent of his sin. He hardens his heart towards God. He hardens his heart towards the commands of God. And he hardens his heart towards the anointed whom he should receive and love. We have to ask ourselves, am I like Saul? Who am I focusing on? Am I focusing on a person right now? Am I focusing on a wife or a kid or a person right now? The problem that we have when we focus on somebody else is not that person. The problem is between ourselves and God. I've heard somebody say to me, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with God. Everybody has a relationship with God. It's either a good one or a bad one, but you have one. It's either a hostile one or a peaceful one, but you have one. Every single one of us has a relationship with God, and the only way to deal with this jealousy is to look to Jesus Christ and to pray and ask God to give me the wisdom from above that I might have peace and joy in the Holy Spirit as I come to Jesus Christ and if I don't, the Bible tells us the i mean the the prophet Isaiah says there is no peace for the wicked, but Romans tells us the apostle Paul tells us in Romans five if you and I come to God through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We have to come to God. Well, second, let me show you this. Humility is a virtue that we need to magnify. And in this text, three times we're going to see in verses 13 through 29, that as Saul spirals out of control in jealousy, David is humble. Saul's strategy is to send David to an early grave on the battlefield. And have the Philistines kill him. And yet what we're going to see is David is humble. In verses 13 through 16, Saul sent David into the battlefield and he gave him a thousand troops. And he sends him out there to go out and fight for him. The plan is to have David die. The plan is to have David dead on the battlefield. There's there's two things going on. Let's get him in harm's way. And number two, let's get him out of town so that he's not always there in front of everybody. Receiving all the notoriety. And well, David does it. This is David's humility. David goes with these thousand men. He doesn't let the fact that he's number one on all the charts and all the billboards. He doesn't let all of that go to his head. He goes out and he fights. In verses 14 through 16, we see that David prospers doing his duty. And men, we need to remember that, don't we? That's a sermon. Do your duty. Do your duty and see how God blesses you. Do your duty. Do those little things. So David's out there doing his duty. Nobody, no, he doesn't, nobody knows where he is hardly. But it says he prospered. Everybody loved him. And Saul's plan was sabotaged. <laughs> In verses 17 through 19, Saul comes up with another scheme. He's going to give his daughter Mirab to him. And if you remember those days when David was on the, on the, out there with the sheep, and he comes in, Daddy gives him the cheeses. Remember the cheeses? I always like to talk about the cheeses. The tin cheeses, he goes in, he checks on all the boys, gives the food to the boys, comes back and gives Dad the news. Well, One day he's on the battlefield, and remember they said, hey, if you kill Goliath, you get one of Saul's daughters. Well, we don't know if that was something that Saul actually said or not. We don't know if it was a rumor or something he actually said, but it becomes the next plan. Because he's going to give, Saul is going to give David, Mirab in order to get him back on the battlefield. Verse 17, he says, Hey, listen, you can have her. Only thing you have to do is go out and fight for me and fight the Lord's battles. This man's depravity knows no end. He's going to use his daughter to get him out on the battlefield. He's going to use theological language to turn David's crank because David thinks theologically. Go out and fight for the king and for the Lord. So he's going to get him out there to fight for the Lord. And so David, in humility, says this, who am I? This is in verse 18. Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? Who am I? He has a low opinion of himself. He he thinks about his father's family. He comes from a poor family. He comes from a family some people might say has been tainted by Moabite blood. Remember Ruth, Mary, and Boaz? He has a small opinion of himself. And then Saul, I think cruelly, gives this woman away to another man. And yet David is preserved in the midst of all of this. Then we come to another scheme in verses 20 through 29. It's very similar to the last one. He's going to give his daughter Michael to David. He finds out that Michael loves David, and so what he wants to do is give Michael to David. And I think there's two prongs here, and i just say this really quickly. Verse 21 says, Saul thought, I will give her to him that she may become a snare to him. And the word snare speaks of idolatry. I think there's two prongs here. I think he's going to give to David Michael with the hopes of if he loves Michael, he will... Follow her into her idolatry and harm David's relationship to the Lord. The second prong is this. It'll get him out there, back on the battlefield. And this is what he has to do to have her. Verse 25. Saul then said to his men, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry. We understand you're poor. No desire for a dowry. Just give me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. I want you to go out for her. You have to go kill 100 men and bring 100 bloody proofs of it. We talked about being careful about words, and so I'm like being careful. Bloody proof. You have to prove it. Well, not only is this dangerous just going out and killing 100 guys, but if he goes out and kills 100 Philistines, he becomes public enemy number one among the Philistines. How does David respond to this? Well, in verse 23, he's here's more humility. Is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law? Since I'm a poor man and lightly esteemed, here he is again. Is it a trivial thing? I, I don't think so. He's very humble. He's very excited to go do the Lord's work, but he's very humble about all of this. And he goes out <laughs> and he fights. And he brings back 200 bloody proofs that he had killed many of the Philistines. Humility is something that we need to magnify. This is a person who won't worry about the billboards. This is a person who's not looking at ESPN and listening to all the things they're saying about him when he was in Israel. This is a person who says, who am I? This is a person who says it's not a trivial thing to become a the king's son-in-law. David did not behave like modern-day superstars in sport and on TV who hit the screen. They soar into prominence, and they live to stay there. God reminds us that he's opposed to the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. You know, I remember um, when I was 40, In April of 2000, when I was 40, I started personal training. I had 14 in-home training hours. Now, training wealthy people in their homes is a big deal. And my clients began to say to me, do you know what people are saying about you? And I said, no, I do not. What are they saying? They said, they're saying that you're the best trainer in Tyler, Texas. You're the best. And you know what I said to myself? I thank God I said this to myself. <laughs> How long will that last? The lyrics that have you first will have you second at some point in time. And so, what is our goal, men? What is our goal, ladies? Our goal is to do our duty. Our goal is to please God and glorify God with all our thoughts and all our words and all our deeds. If the Lord brings you forward, then let Him do it Himself. Don't let that be your goal. Your goal is to do your duty. Your goal is to, do, uh, to think great thoughts about God, to do the small things for God. If He brings you forward, that's up to Him. But our duty is not to seek great things for ourselves, but to think small about God ourselves. Well finally, this is this is my point I've been wanting to get to because I know every man in here and I know we all need to hear this one. Favor is a secret grace from God to be pondered. There's two things happening in chapter eighteen. One, it's apparent we know that Saul is filled with jealousy and desire to put David to death, but every step along the way he's been foiled. There's been a saboteur there's been somebody sabotaging every one of his plans he hadn't gotten his way. And the other thing we see that's apparent in this chapter is it seems that God has been favoring David, and David doesn't even seem to know it. Do you think about that? David doesn't really seem to know it. Somebody might say, well, how in the world? In chapter 19, verse 1, we absolutely know it. He says it out loud to his servants. But in chapter 18, it's all, it's all what we know from the face of reading the text. How could David not know that Saul's jealousy, when Saul is full of jealousy and ready to kill him, when Saul had thrown a spear at him twice? That's a good question. But I think it can be explained. Saul was being terrorized by the Spirit from the Lord, Saul was not himself. And remember, the medicine is the heart plane. And maybe the medicine hadn't taken effect yet. And so he's sort of out of his mind. He loses control. He throws a spear at David. And David, maybe David's heard Saul apologize to him over and over and over. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I wasn't in my right mind. It can all be explained. You and I know he's trying to kill David. We read it. But David's not reading this. He didn't read 1 Samuel 18. You and I are. But even if the danger that David was in, even if it was not apparent to him, it's very apparent that the Lord is favoring David, the Lord is taking care of David, and David may not even know. God's greatest favor is sometimes secret. Saul is sinful and jealous, but God's great secret favor, God's secret favor is greater than Saul's sinful jealousy. Our God is secretive at times. He operates off the radar to preserve us. You don't know it. You're out there doing your duty. You're out there doing the next right thing, and you're not aware that God is favoring you. In the book of Exodus, you remember the story about Pharaoh. Pharaoh came into power who knew not Joseph and all of God's people he saw all of God's people they were so numerous and he feared them and he sought to kill them so he had three plans too his first plan was to oppress them with labor but they grew stronger his second plan was to have the the midwives kill the baby the bo- baby boys on the birth stool but the but the midwives didn't get there in time the third plan was to have the Egyptians throw the baby boys of the Hebrews into the Nile river And so down floating through the river is a little basket with a little baby in it that was beautiful, and his name was Moses. And of all things, Pharaoh's own daughter drew that little baby out. (laughs) Pharaoh's trying to kill that baby. But Pharaoh's own daughter, underneath his own nose, draws this baby out and raises this baby as her own. Don't you love it? (laughs) Sabotage. Right there underneath Pharaoh's nose. God undercuts the best designs of those who are opposed to his purposes. I've been waiting to tell you this illustration. I told Phyllis this illustration. She loved it. In World War II, there's a story about a B-17 bomber that was making a run over the German city. And during the bombing raid, uh, the Nazi anti-aircraft flak hit the gas tank and was lodged inside it. There was no explosion. The next morning, the pilot comes to the crew chief and says, "I want to take that shell home as a souvenir." And he says, "Well, he says there weren't. Uh, there was not just one shell in the gas tank. There were eleven shells in the gas tank. And so they took these shells down, and they had to defuse them, and they had to inspect them, and they found not one explosive charge in any of these shells found in the gas tank. Not one explosive charge." They found nothing except a piece of paper in one of them. And so they opened up, they took the paper, and they uncrumpled it all out, and they saw that it was written in a Czech language. So they had to go get somebody to translate, and this is what it read. This is all we can do for you now. This is all we can do for you now. Now, here's the story. There were Czech men and women who were taken by the Nazis and pressed into service in the munis- munitions plant These people did not try to assassinate Hitler. These people did not uh, try to blow the plant up. They didn't do anything loud or noisy. They just didn't put explosive charges in all the shells. It was a secret. But this secret worked favor for that B-17 bombing crew just the same. It's Sunday night. Why would a crowd like you need to know all of that? Well, because this is not written just for David. This was written for you. This is written to instruct you and to instruct me. To teach us that the Lord is with us. To teach us that the Lord is favoring us at times when we don't even know it. He's protecting us. Sometimes He uses pain. Sometimes He uses anxiety. Sometimes He uses uh, leaky pipes and whatever. And He's going to show us that He's been favoring us all along. And maybe as we go home and put our heads on our pillows tonight, we need to ponder with Mary this blessed truth in our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this opportunity to ponder in our hearts, jealousy and the need to get rid of it, humility and the need to improve it, and, Lord, to see favor as we look back over our lives. No, you have been protecting us in so many ways we might never have thought. We praise you and thank you for what you've taught us. We ask, Lord, that you will help us finish out this time of worship for your glory and for our good. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.